Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 29th of May, 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Kindness. So, we are thinking uh, a bit about kindness this morning, and I want to start off by asking you some questions. And the first question I want to ask you is to think, to try and visualise the most recent act of kindness that you personally received, or at least the one that most immediately springs to mind. What is that? It might have been an action that was done for you by someone else. It might have been a word that was spoken to you by someone else. It might have come, this act of kindness or this word of kindness, it might have come from someone that you know well, or it might have come from a complete stranger. It might have been something you expected to happen, or it might be something that took you completely by surprise. Try and visualise that single example of kindness and the person or the people who were involved in bringing it to you. And then think about the impact that that act of kindness had upon you. How did it make you feel? How were you feeling before it happened, and how were you feeling afterwards? And perhaps the most searching question of all, why did that act of kindness make such a difference to you? What was it about that act of kindness that gave it its power? Now, it's that last question which is the most tricky one, because the power of kindness is deeply mysterious. Acts and words of kindness are frequently quite small, aren't they? And they don't usually make the problems that someone's facing completely disappear, if disappear at all. But they nonetheless possess this strange power, this mysterious power, to make a real difference, don't they? Someone can be having a terrible time with problems that seem completely intractable, and then someone else... Maybe someone close to them, maybe a complete stranger, does or says something kind that makes a real difference. Logically, perhaps it shouldn't, and yet it does. Acts or words of kindness possess this strange, mysterious power to punch above their weight, to come into a really difficult situation and without necessarily removing the problem causing that situation to somehow make a real difference by lightening the burdens being carried and providing hope. And Christians have an answer to this mystery. The Christian answer to the mystery of this strange power of kindness is basically Easter and everything that followed on from it. Back at Easter, we celebrated Jesus dying on the cross to defeat sin and evil and then rising from dead to demonstrate that victory. And part of what Easter means, particularly in the light of the subsequent coming of the Holy Spirit, the ascension that uh, Katie referred to earlier, and then Pentecost when God's Holy Spirit comes on all his followers, the effect of that means that a strange power has been let loose in the world as part of God's ongoing work of rolling back evil. 
In line with the death of Jesus, this power isn't forceful, it isn't showy, it isn't something that will normally grab headlines or attract attention, but it's nonetheless real and it's nonetheless transforming. Now, all of the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit come into this category. And it's because all of the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are bringing a bit of God's future, his eternal future, into the present. That's what gives the fruit of the Spirit their power. Something eternal that will last forever is coming forward into the present. It's not surprising. It has so much power. But kindness is the one that perhaps displays this the most. Precisely because usually it's so small, so unshowy, and so undramatic. And we get a really good example of what kindness means and what kindness looks like and its impact in the Old Testament book of Ruth. We had the first chapter of Ruth read to us earlier. There are only four chapters in the book of Ruth. It's relatively short. It takes place long before the death and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of God's Holy Spirit upon all of his people. And yet what the book of Ruth displays very clearly are the characteristics of kindness, or some of them, that the Holy Spirit now makes available to every single one of us. So the story starts with an Israelite woman called Naomi, whom, because of a famine, moves from her home down of Bethlehem with her father and her two sons to a place outside of Israel called Moab. I'm going to change my glasses. I'm getting a bit old, so I need reading ones now. Her two sons marry Moabite women called Orpah and Ruth. But then Naomi's husband dies. Elimelech, her husband, dies. And fairly soon afterwards, it seems, her two sons, Marlon and Chilion, die as well. Meaning that Naomi is left all alone. Well, not quite. All alone except for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who steadfastly refuses to abandon Naomi, and whose kindness in this story eventually brings the most amazing transformation of Naomi's situation and that of God's people. Now, as I say, it is a very short story, the book of Ruth. You can read it in around about 25 minutes or so. But it's a really moving story, and it's one that makes a number of things really clear about kindness, things that I believe we can learn from. And the first of these things is this. Kindness can come, and very often does come, from the most humble sources. This is, in some ways, the whole point of the story. Naomi's world totally collapses when her husband and her two sons die. And the reason why her world collapses is because in the world that Naomi lived, frankly, it was men that counted. And yet the kindness that eventually transforms Naomi's life comes not just from a woman, not just from a woman who wasn't even a blood relative of her, but a woman who wasn't even an Israelite. She was a Moabitess. She came from people who were historically part of Israel's enemies, Ruth, in the eyes of the world in which she lived, is a nobody. And yet it is from her kindness and from her commitment to her mother-in-law 
that everything else in this story springs. After her sons die, Naomi does acknowledge the kindness of her daughters-in-law towards her and her family, but she clearly expects that kindness to then end, as it does fairly swiftly with her other daughter-in-law, Orpah, who goes back and tries to rebuild her life independently of Naomi. But that kindness continues coming to Naomi from the unlikely source of her other Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And it's really yet another example of what we see throughout the Bible, which is God's willingness to use nobodies to display his power. In fact, it's probably much easier for someone without status to recognise the power contained in things like simple acts of kindness. And that should be a real encouragement to every single one of us, particularly if we don't think that we're particularly brilliant or outstanding at anything. It can be a real encouragement to us to recognise how God wants to work precisely through people like us, perhaps, probably almost certainly, through displaying kindness. And particularly if how I started this morning, asking you to think about an act of kindness that particularly impacted upon you, if that has made you think a little bit more about the power of kindness and the Christian explanation for that, the challenge this morning is whether you are ready and willing to perhaps display that kindness a bit more fully to others. I hope so. Because secondly, the story of Ruth shows us that kindness involves words and actions. Now, both are really important. Ruth refuses to abandon Naomi, and she travels back with her to Bethlehem from Moab. She leaves everything she knew to travel to this strange place. And often, simply being with someone, being alongside them, making sure that they don't feel alone, very often that is the greatest act of kindness that we can do for someone. But Ruth also puts it into words, doesn't she? And she makes this really famous statement, probably the most famous words in the book of Ruth. Naomi wants her to turn back and to, to focus on rebuilding her own life. But Ruth says these words to Naomi, and they're rightly famous ones. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And she goes on. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And they are amazingly powerful words, aren't they? But we don't have to be an amazing orator to use words to show kindness to others. Often the very simplest words, like, I'm here for you, perhaps, well, certainly with eye contact, with time, and perhaps with an appropriate physical gesture, can make a real impact upon others, particularly when they're accompanied, as in the case of Ruth, by actions as well. And that's because part of the power of kindness lies not so much in what it does as in what it displays. 
Actions matter, but they matter because they show that we care, that the words of kindness that we speak are genuine. And it's then that kindness often starts to make its impact. Not necessarily immediately. We don't. It would be lovely if we saw an immediate impact of kindness. Often we don't immediately see the impact, and that's where the third point comes in. Kindness is something that persists in the face of discouragement. Naomi, in this story, isn't the easiest person, and it's completely understandable given what's happened to her. She does her best to stop her daughters-in-law being kind to her, and it works in the case of Orpah. And for a long time, Naomi remains really bitter towards God because of what he's done to her, or what she feels he's done to her. And it seems that she's not particularly appreciative, certainly for quite a long time, of what God has provided for her in Ruth. So look at these words that she speaks. When she comes back to Bethlehem, they say, oh, Naomi's back, and she says, well, no, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. He's brought me back empty. I've got nothing at all. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi doesn't show for the moment any appreciation of what God has provided her for in Ruth. Now, as I say, that is perhaps understandable given what Naomi has lost. But if Ruth was listening to those words, she must have found them quite hard because she's left her homeland to come back with Naomi. Naomi's saying she's returned empty. I've got nothing. It can't have been easy for Ruth to carry on being kind to someone who, for the moment, couldn't see, perhaps understandably, beyond their grief. And yet that's what she does. She works hard in the fields to glean food for her and Naomi to eat, and presumably she generally cares for Naomi in other ways as well. And that's what genuine kindness does. Genuine kindness, kindness that's the fruit of the Spirit, keeps going in the face of discouragement. And that's because it's not dependent upon appreciation. It's not dependent on positive feedback. It will happen when we're trying to be kind to someone that there will be frequently a lack of appreciation. Sometimes the reason for that are things that we can understand and are explicable, and sometimes less so. But when kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, it persists. And that's because this kindness comes from the God of grace, the God who persists in showing constant kindness to us, usually in the face of quite a lot of lack of appreciation and ingratitude. And so the challenge of this bit, a fairly obvious one really, is where are we being called to keep going with kindness in the face, for the moment at least, of a lack of appreciation or gratitude? Now, it might be within our family. It might be that there's someone that we care for who perhaps is so taken up with their needs or their pain or their difficulty that they don't show a huge amount of appreciation or gratitude. It might be that we are in the middle of supporting a friend who's going through particular difficulty, which means that they can't 
necessarily show much gratitude or appreciation. It might be that we have to show kindness to a difficult colleague at work, someone who perhaps never shows any appreciation of anyone else, seemingly. But when kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, it keeps going. And that's because, as I say, through the Holy Spirit, that kindness is part of the kindness of God himself, which thankfully for us always keeps going. This really leads to a final point, which is how kindness is used mightily by God. In the first chapter of the book of Ruth, God can appear to be pretty absent. But its very last line hints otherwise. When it speaks of Naomi and Ruth returning to Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Why does it throw in that detail? In the first chapter, we've heard all about this tragedy. We've heard about Ruth committing herself to Naomi. We haven't really heard much about God, although he's been mentioned. And then right at the end of this first chapter, we see this reference that seemingly is a coincidence or just a little bit of detail. They're returning to Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. What we see in the next few chapters as the story unfolds is that Ruth, through working in the fields to pick up the leftover barley grain, she happens to meet with a relative of Naomi called Boaz. And after a while, they later marry, and they produce the son who continues the family line that Naomi believed was lost. Ruth shows kindness to Naomi, and that kindness becomes turbocharged by God to produce the most extraordinary results. Not just for Naomi, but for Israel itself, because as that family tree shows, Ruth and Boaz produce a son called Obed, and he becomes the father of Jesse, and then the father of David. The king who, as we saw not long ago, was central to God's plan for bringing his rescue to the world and whose line eventually led to Jesus as the son of David or the ancestor of David, descendant. The story of Ruth is one that displays very strongly how human kindness can be used mightily by God. And the reason why this happens we need to be clear about it's not so much because when we show kindness, God decides to join in and thinks, oh, that's a good idea, I'll add a bit to that. It's not like that so much as the other way around. Seeing kindness as a fruit of the Spirit involves us recognising that kindness is God's work, which we're invited to join in. The whole story of the Bible is that of God responding with loving kindness to a messed up world, isn't it? calling a people to belong to him who respond by and large with total lack of appreciation and God persisting. And God eventually sending his son Jesus Christ whose own compassion and utter kindness is met with cruelty and death. But as I said earlier, Easter reveals that this kindness of God has triumphed over evil. And it will fully triumph over evil, evil. And ahead of that final triumph, God calls followers of Jesus to show that kindness, which is part of his rule, advancing over the world. And that means that every single time you respond to someone in need, 
with actions that help them. Every single time you give encouraging and affirming words to someone when they're struggling. Every time you refuse to abandon someone who is in a really difficult situation or really upset, particularly when they're completely unappreciative, particularly when they don't seem bothered to thank you and they are seemingly completely trapped in their hurt and their upset, every single time you do that because you're a follower of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit will be building upon what Jesus established through his death and resurrection and continuing the work of God in this world ahead of the day when God's kindness totally and utterly triumphs, removing every bit of sadness and evil from this world. That's our calling as followers of Jesus. Along with other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and they're, they're all important, all of those different aspects of the single fruit of the Spirit, it's really important that we continue to be people who show kindness. It's all part of us being invited into the work of God, invited into the work of the God of utter kindness, who is in the business of transforming this world and who gives us the utter privilege of playing a part in that work. Let's just have, before Katie continues leading us in prayer, let's just have a few moments of silence as we think about this challenge. We thought earlier about a situation where kindness had a big impact upon us. But let's now think of the situation where perhaps we're being called most strongly at the moment to persist in showing kindness. Perhaps there's a situation where we're dealing with someone who is in a great deal of pain or upset even if they don't realise it and we're being called to show transforming kindness to them. Let's have that person or those people in mind. Let's fully acknowledge how difficult this is. But let's ask for God's help in persisting in showing this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Father God, we commit ourselves in this situation, whatever it is, to displaying the kindness that comes from you. Help us through our words and our actions to reflect the supreme kindness that is at the heart of your character. And we pray, Lord, that it will bring transformation, that it will bring hope, that it will be part of your work of healing and restoration going forward in this world. We pray for your help and for your power, the power of your spirit to work through us, because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.